like to remind you that if you are experiencing symptoms of a heart attack, stroke, or any life-threatening medical emergency, please call 911. Please do not delay seeking treatment during the COVID-19 epidemic. Most Providence emergency rooms are open, and CDC-required safety measures are being taken to protect patients and hospital staff. If you are unsure of your symptoms, please use our telehealth services and speak with a healthcare professional that can better assess your symptoms and provide direction on the best course of action. Please do not let the worry of COVID-19 cause delay in seeking out treatment if you are experiencing a heart attack or stroke. Every minute treatment is delayed can be fatal. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the Future of Health on Dash Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID-19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information. Okay. Hello, everybody. Good afternoon. My name is Lori Kelly, and I'm the Chief Philanthropy Officer at Providence Health System. We want to thank you for joining us today for an update on Providence coronavirus response. As a reminder, the information that's provided here in this chat today is for information purposes only. If you have any questions around the COVID-19 pandemic, please visit our website at providence.org or visit cdc.org for updates and information. Um, this event does not create a doctor-patient relationship and um, any questions or medical items discussed are not considered guidance on what you should do. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. So joining me today is Dr. Nancy Eisenberg. Nancy is the medical director at the Center for Health Aging at the Swedish Neuroscience Institute. And Swedish is one of the many hospitals within the Providence system. We have 51 hospitals throughout the system and Swedish is one of our hallmark hospitals up in the Seattle area. So thank you, Dr. Eisenberg, for your time today. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Lori. I'm delighted to be here. Well, it's just, um, you've got so many uh, uh, not names, but items after your name, MD, um, MPH, NAAP. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about, about your background and your role and what you're, what you're starting up at Swedish. Uh, so I'm a neurologist and I have training in cognitive neurology and neuropsychiatry. And then I also have a background and interest in population health and a master's in public health. And I'm fortunate to be the medical director of our Center for Healthy Aging at Swedish Neurosciences Institute. And we offer comprehensive whole person and family centered care for people with cognitive issues, such as Alzheimer's disease and other dementias, ranging from prevention to evaluation to treatment. And we work with inner and innovative and interdisciplinary approaches to partner with patients and families to come up with personalized evidence-based treatment plans. And Did so you know, Lori, that one yeah, in three yeah. cases of dementia are preventable? Wow, so, I did that. Yeah, and, and also if you have dementia, you can live well with dementia also by focusing on targeting modifiable risk factors such as hypertension, such as diabetes, such as depression or untreated sleep apnea. Wow. It's also really important to work with care, care partners and support their needs and also to cultivate connection and lifelong learning. Amazing. Well, well tell yeah. us a little bit about, you know, um, I know the work that you do has been ongoing, but in this particularly difficult time yes. with COVID, um, talk a little bit more about the population that you're serving now that coronavirus is part of our daily life. Yeah, I care for people with cognitive challenges such as dementia and their family members. And COVID has posed 
unprecedented challenges for healthcare. We've shifted to virtual healthcare. And so thankfully we have a really skilled team to help patients with dementia and their families to get on a virtual visit with telemedicine. And whereas that poses technological challenges, in most cases with this support, people have been able to receive the care in their home, which is safe and where they need and have their care needs met. So talk, talk a little bit about what's needed for the telehealth. I know that our, our numbers have skyrocketed in terms of um, seeing patients in all different aspects of medicine, but how, how with this population does telehealth work? So telehealth can work on your smartphone. Most people do have a smartphone or a tablet or a laptop. Um, and you know through a link through my chart, they can go on to a, a encrypted uh, Zoom conference. And if that doesn't work, a phone call can, can be a good substitute. You know, there are particular challenges that people with cognitive issues and their family members confront. However, often you can have a family member there or helping with the setup. And then our, our team is also walking alongside to guide the process and support the process. And yeah. so have you, have you noticed, um, you know, during this time, more stress or anxiety yeah. with your patients? What's kind yeah, of the challenges? So let's first acknowledge that we all are experiencing significant stress. And we experience it in similar ways and also in quite different ways. And the health and basic social needs for people in communities has really significantly increased, particularly for the poor, the marginalized, and the elderly. And the elderly are especially vulnerable for social isolation and for loneliness. And with this physical distancing, that is intensified even more. So family caregivers may not be able to receive the support that they need. They may not have the respite that they're used to, for example. Somebody with dementia may not understand the how and the why of the importance of physical distancing or wearing a mask or why he can't see his grandson. People in nursing homes are even more isolated and also their risk of COVID-19 is significantly increased. So that elevates the level of stress. So in these instances, we really have to stop and think about how to support individuals with dementia and their families. And so sort of turning to approaches that can help people to ground for the moment, to set up a routine. So as simple as five minutes in the morning of either a mindfulness or prayer and setting an intention to really target health behaviors such as a walk, such mm -hmm. as um, healthy diet, such as focusing on sleep, in addition to physical distancing that reduces contagion risk, it's important also to media distance because people with dementia can be upregulated with the media exposure. Right. Also, yeah. you know, really focusing on what you can control in the day and staying in the present moment is helpful. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, acknowledging the gamut of feelings, but not feeding the negative feelings, getting sucked up into media. And then also having a really broad perspective. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, it's for all of us. That's for for all sure. of us too. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Right. What you were you saying, Dr. I was just saying, you know, to try to cultivate a broad perspective that we're all in this together. We're not alone. Life is hard. It presents challenges, and we will get through this together. Right. And we don't know how much longer it's going to last either. I think that's the other thing. There's no kind of uh, light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, you know, this is a time of isolation, yeah. uncertainty, and loss. Yes. And absolutely. it's very hard. 
And so how is your, you know, I think we've seen a lot about the um, caregivers that we have and the staff and nurses and um, right. therapists, all the people that are really impacted by this, but how is it, it, it especially affecting your team? Our team, uh, I think, has been very nimble to, to meet this challenge where it is and to develop the training and the skills and to work with one another in a supportive way. Um, you know, it, it is uh, the, 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 the moments sometimes are uh, you have to have humor and, and uh, patience when you're working with these, these patients and families because it's a new technology and it takes time. And at the same time, I think that our, 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 our um, team-based model is bringing a lot of expertise and compassion to, to this and really getting patients the care that they need in their homes right, in a safe right. manner. Yeah. Yeah, and you were talking about families and, and respite care. So respite care would be when someone's a primary caregiver, but maybe their daughter can come in and take um, their father for a few hours or a day or an overnight. So now that we're not really doing that, right. sometimes, you know, people have to go to work or they're out at the grocery. They're really worried right. about bringing COVID home. So how is co social... I mean, you think about the sandwich generation, you know, so just yeah. imagine the way that COVID has affected people. So now you're working from home. Right. You're homeschooling your child and you're caring for your parent, your elderly parent who may also have dementia. And so it's really important in those moments to have compassion for those around you and for yourself. It's okay to need a break and to take a break. It's okay to feel what you feel and it's okay to ask for help. Right. Absolutely. And in what ways can people ask for help? What are some so of the, yeah. So there are so many ways that you can bring compassion into this moment. Uh, for example, just reaching out to friends and families who are isolated, you know, and, and physically isolated, picking up the phone or writing a letter, offering to do grocery shopping for somebody who's sheltering in place, participating in a food drive, uh, and just really listening with your whole heart. Some people, they just may need to really vent or talk openly about the gamut of feelings that are rising up in this moment. Other people may actually really say, gosh, notice things like silver linings, the, the sense of spaciousness or the time that they have with young ones that they may not have had. So it is the whole gamut of experiences. And so these are ways that you can help one another. And um, we were talking earlier before we got on kind of um, about the conversation. And one of the things that you were referring to was this Dementia Action Collaborative. And yes. uh, we thought we had some slides to show you guys. We will actually put them on afterwards on the chat box. But can you tell us about the Dementia Action Collaborative and what that entails? And Yeah, the Washington um, State Dementia Action Collaborative is comprised of a number of stakeholders from a variety of um, areas in dementia care, ranging from people living with dementia to family caregivers, to people in long-term care, to people uh, in clinical medicine, neuropsychology, research, geriatrics. And we come together to develop um, and improve dementia care throughout the state. And so there's a roadmap, there's a toolkit, there are actually virtual programs that uh, are supporting caregivers and people with dementia through MomentiaSeattle.org or Snowmentia or dementia-friendly communities. So there are programs that are continuing in this virtual space to really meet the needs. There's also Alzheimer's Association programs and other caregiver network programs that can be very helpful in this time. Well, one of the things I was thinking about too is we're spending so much time with family 
um, if we are together, right, in a household. And I'm wondering if there are people that have noticed that maybe their partner might have some cognitive delays that they might have not noticed in their normal daily life with going to work and all of that. And what would those people, what would be your, your um, advice to people like that that are noticing some things or even about themselves um, while they're home more um, and having a little bit more time to think and process and worrying about signs of dementia? What, what should they do? That's a great question, Lori. And that's actually within the context of um, a 2020 Alzheimer's Association facts and figures, which identifies that fewer than one in two cases of dementia are actually diagnosed. And that frequently mm -hmm. families will bring that concern and, and it may or may not be pursued. So I would say absolutely, if that's a concern that you have about a family member to bring that to the attention of your primary care doctor for an evaluation. It's really important also because as I said earlier, one in three cases of dementia are preventable and there are always things that you can do in terms of personalized lifestyle approaches, connection, lifelong learning, I perhaps reducing some medications that may have side effects that are causing the person to have memory loss. So there's a really, you know, it's important to get that comprehensive evaluation to try to address those challenges. It's also important in terms of um, health span, thinking about um, quality of life and then planning for the future. Yeah, and I know- If you have those concerns about yourself and nobody else has those concerns and you're also sleeping poorly and, um, in the sandwich moment of, that I referred to earlier, you know, you certainly can share that with your uh, primary care doctor. And I would also for everybody really um, point towards those healthy habits and really trying to be as consistent as you can with those kind of pillars of health and well-being. That's you know, we can thankfully strengthen the neural circuitry of intention and memory with exercise, with mindfulness practices by getting enough rest, by challenging the mind to learn. So there are things that we can do, you know, by taking our medications to control these vascular and metabolic issues that I mentioned before. And with diet yeah. too, right? Uh, Absolutely with diet. Yeah. So there was a, there's a beautiful study looking at over almost 5,000 people over five years, they cut their risk of dementia in half with a Mediterranean low salt diet. Wow. Wow. That's powerful, right? Yeah, that is really powerful. And yeah. I eat an incredible amount of salt. So that's worth <laughs> Well, so, if you don't, if you exercise a lot and you don't have high blood pressure, it's less of a concern. Okay. But many of us do have high blood pressure. You yeah. know, Hippocrates said, let thy food be thy medicine and thy medicine be thy food. And it's very important um, what we eat. People are cooking at home more. They have more control yeah. of what they eat. Absolutely. It's an opportunity for sure. Yeah. And, you know, with so many diseases, it's so, so... Um, important to catch them early, right? Prevention yes. sometimes isn't possible, but once we have something and we know how to manage it, um, the chances of survival or, you know, living well beyond whatever the disease is, is so much, so much easier for us. And what about with Alzheimer's or, or dementia? Recognize yeah. early. Can you talk so a little bit about that? You, yes, you raise a very, very important point here as well with regard to um, Alzheimer's disease, because we know that for people, this, this, um, neuropathological change occurs for decades prior to people manifesting clinical symptoms. And there are things which are neuroprotective, such as what we call cognitive reserve, your level of education and your lifelong learning engagement. Also, some people may be identified as having 
mild cognitive impairment, which in some cases is a precursor to Alzheimer's disease, but in other cases, people do not progress. Okay. So going and seeing your team and being identified as having a risk could potentially, and then talking about the things you can do to target that risk and change your course is very important. And we've mentioned those, that's cardiovascular exercise, sleep, diet, challenging the mind to learn new things, maintaining a positive out outlook, treating depression if you have it, identifying and treating sleep apnea, doing a thorough comprehensive medication review, these kinds of things. Great, great. Yeah. So, to think about so it, you're absolutely right that up, the earlier upstream that we can get, the more of a chance that we have to change the course. That said, I think it's important also in this context to acknowledge that people can live well with dementia. And there are all sorts of creative programs and services now around creative aging that really support that level of flourishing as well that don't rely on memory per se, but which can stimulate the whole person. Great, yeah. Yeah. And, and for caregivers that um, maybe their loved one is, is not living at their house, they're, they're in a nursing home. Do you mm -hmm. have any advice for those folks? I, have a, I was sharing with you that my dad yeah. has Alzheimer's and my stepmom hasn't been able to go visit him for a long time here. And it's really, um, you know, it's heartbreaking. And so any advice for those caregivers? I mean, we need them to you know, themselves. And, yeah, I, yeah, I think this, I think the importance of self-care in these moments and also just being really honest with yourself and acknowledging that it is very challenging and then focusing on the ways that you can stay connected because yeah. that connection can really bolster you as well. Yeah, so staying connected in the ways that you can and staying well in the ways that you can and and then being true to yourself that it's just a wrenching that's a very very difficult to be away from your beloved and to not have yeah. you know some some places they'll bring in the the tablet and you can try to connect thankfully we have these virtual ways it to kind great. of hyper connect and been doing that yeah absolutely yeah and we yeah. know that's not possible but we do want to have a hug of course i mean we're yeah. we're tactile beings and yeah. it's a loss it's really, it's really a, a hard time for, for folks in mm -hmm. so many ways, but this way in particular. And switching gears a little bit, on top yes. of everything that you're doing at the Neurological Institute, you're also the instructor at the Compassion Institute. And so can you tell us a little bit about what's involved in teaching compassion? And um, what is the compassion cultivation training that you're involved yes. in? Yes, so compassion cultivation training is an eight week program that was developed at Stanford University and is based on insights from psychology and neuroscience and contemplative practices. And it's been demonstrated to help strengthen the courage for compassionate action, to help you to manage your emotions and also to promote resilience uh, and prevent empathy fatigue and burnout. So it's a really wonderful technique that incorporates mindfulness practices and compassion and loving kindness practices. Um, and people meet either virtually or face-to-face -face for a couple of hours over eight weeks. Okay. And I've offered these practices in a number of contexts, whether it's with healthcare providers or hospice providers uh, or people um, who are care caregivers for people with dementia, living with dementia. So can you give a couple examples of how that gets started? How, how, how a particular class yeah. might start? Or, yeah. yeah, so I mean, you, you would start in the first class, um, 
you start with what's called a breath awareness practice to kind of ground in the body and to cultivate the neural circuitry of attention. And then we really explore what compassion is. And compassion really simply defined is, you know, it's an innate capacity that we have um, as humans, which we can also strengthen. And there's a lot of science about compassion, which I'll mention in a moment. But, you know, the over the course of the eight weeks, we strengthen our capacity to notice the suffering, to ground in our body, and then to find skillful ways to respond to that suffering, whether it is in another or in ourselves. And I just want to come back to the question you asked about your stepmom, you know, and that to, to say that we are as worthy of compassion as others. So if she's having a moment of suffering to really kind of direct that compassion inward for herself and to kind of be tender with herself and kind in that moment of suffering. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think- So the other thing about compassion that I wanna, uh, sorry, yeah, I just was gonna say, the other thing I wanna mention about compassion that's really incredible is that it can help us when we're feeling anxious and depressed to feel better. Mm -hmm. And compassion is contagious. So compassion and collaboration are contagious in social networks. So if you show up with compassion or if others are showing up with compassion, you can feel those ripple effects as they grow. Yeah, yeah. It, it's been interesting just to see um, different neighborhoods that put in sort of a, you know, a, a tip for the day or, you know, try to spread compassion and sort of um, tactile ways too. Um, there was someone that's on our team that show, showed, um, you know, those wishes, you know, that you can make and they were hanging on trees with a little um, compassionate note of like, let, we get, we're all in this together. And, you know, he came running by about a week later and there were a hundred of them hanging from this tree. They had given out kits and things. Oh. And so, I know. I just love that. I thought. God, I, I love that. <laughs> I love really? that. Yeah, yeah. I found in my park, somebody had left masks in the same way in little zipper bags. Oh, wow. And, you know, we feel hope because we're in this together and we're going to get through this together. Right. And those compassionate acts really support us in our interdependence. Yeah. And just um, and, and in promoting that, I mean, people have varying levels of compassion that they need, right, and require. And so I think just also recognizing who might need a little bit more care than others or who might just be sitting silently because they don't want to call any attention to themselves. Yes. And, 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 and returning back to these elderly who are at risk, who are socially isolated and may feel loneliness more with the physical distancing and really, you know, ask just reaching out to those people. Yeah. In need. Or the or the neighbor who you may not see on the block, as you right. know, as we as we talked about, right? Who you who may be invisible, but who need the care all the same. Right. And have you yeah. seen any ways of doing that? Is it just a knock on the door or a note? Or what do you think is a great way to, to reach out to people? Call? Um what, I think all of those ways are great ways to reach out. You know, yeah. I think um somebody dropped by something in our uh, front door around around a food um, drive, for example, and um, you know some people have a religious affiliation that are mobilizing these efforts, and so there are all sorts of different uh, ways to address these health and basic social needs in vulnerable populations, and. Um, in from the Center for Healthy Aging, we're especially focused on uh, the elderly. And, and care, you know, people living with dementia and their caregivers. And so at the Center for Healthy Aging, how many, about how many patients do you guys see? 
that's a great question, and I'll answer that. You know, we I just started, and then we moved to virtual, <laughs> so I'm pretty new. <laughs> wow! So we're yeah. growing. I don't really have those. Yeah. How are people finding out about the Center for Healthy Aging? Is it we have a website uh, through Swedish Neuroscience. So if they look at, we, you can put that Center for Health. Oh, there yeah. it is. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. What kind of research is going on in the area of Alzheimer's? There's a lot of um, research right now in multimodal approaches to targeting risk. And I'm involved in a collaborative effort presently. Um, that's funded by the state uh, to try to improve uh, dementia care in primary care. And that's called Project Echo Dementia. And we're going to be looking at that from the lens of implementation science research. Fantastic. Yeah, I yeah. know. It's just a breaking area for sure. Um, and so right. We're living so much longer. We're all worried about our brain health. And, um, and it's just so important that we all take better care of ourselves so we are able to have healthier brains as we age. Yes, and knowing that there are things that we can do, I'll just say one more thing about that, you know, which yeah. is there's a beautiful study um, looking at my mindset and, and people who have positive associations around aging actually mm. age better and have a reduced risk of dementia. So if they think it confers wisdom or they're gonna be a grandparent, you know, really cultivating these positive attitudes around aging, which as you know, aren't always depicted in the media, right? So yeah, <laughs> kind sure. of countering those, um, I mean, in some cases they are, but you know, really having that firm grounding as well, this kind of metacognitive awareness or mindset of positive aging, prolonging health span, and then knowing that there are things you can do in the day to day that significantly can improve your your well being and target that risk. So get out those crossword puzzles, right? <laughs> if you sure, if you like them, or try something else, you know, maybe Zumba, or yeah. you know, put on that that video, or get back at the piano. You know, it has to be something that you enjoy. Exactly. And it, the novelty is really important. So something that's new to you. Yes. Ideally is what strengthens the neural circuitry in the mind yes. and helps it to grow. We make brain cells also with exercise. So, you know, getting your cardiovascular exercise on and that can help also reduce stroke, which is a significant risk factor for dementia as well. Yeah. Yeah. So doing new things. There's that country song. When was the last time you did something for the first time? I, oh. <laughs> I first heard that. I thought, wow, that's a really good question. I need to ask. That is a, we got to sing that song <laughs> next <laughs> time we see <laughs> each other. <laughs> you don't want me to sing, but yeah. Well, yeah, yeah you don't want me to sing either, really. <laughs> it's, been, it's been great visiting with you today and just such important work. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with people today that might be really needing to seek some resources or having some questions um, that they can turn to? You know, I think just underscoring that we're in this together and we'll get through this together and that people can do what they can do and knowing that that's gonna help them to feel better. So showing up with compassion actually helps you and those around you to stay well. And then knowing that that compassion is also directed inward. So if you need a break or if you need help, call and ask and get the help that you need. And then of course the COVID safety precautions, which you know we're all taking with physical distancing and not with social, but, but retaining the social connectedness even in the face of that. Yeah, yeah. I've been amazed actually um, how many people I recognize and recognize me instantly with my mask on if I'm out at the grocery or um, mm -hmm. you know, wearing those masks and we're not yes. out of COVID 
situation yet. And so really being mindful of those we're meeting and those that are meeting us. So, um, you know, out and about when we have to go out for food and things that we, we uh, need in our pantry. So Yes, right. The universal masking is very important, of course. Yeah. 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 Well, Dr. Eisenberg, great to meet you today. And um, we wanna thank you so much for your time and your expertise and for joining us um, and to everyone for listening. Um, and if you've got some questions afterwards, please send them in the chat and we will get back with you. And um, to learn more about our initiatives, programs and services and ways to give, I am the Chief Philanthropy Officer at Providence and Swedish has an amazing foundation um, that's head up by Jay Vogelsang. So please um, visit us at providence.org or at swedish.org. And, um, and to make sure and follow us on social media at Providence Health System or on Facebook and Instagram under at Providence on Twitter. So thanks so much for your time today. I hope you have a great week and um, keep your brain really healthy and get out there, exercise, read a new thing and um, just enjoy life, give back. Thanks everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.